There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. You bet so. Uh, time for a bit of grillage. We're live down here at Barasti. A uh, good crowd in as well. Uh, today is, of course, a public holiday. A lot of people taking advantage of that, enjoying their time down here at Barasti and elsewhere, uh, and enjoying it in front of the live sport. As always, if you'd like to have your say, we're encouraging you to do that. Text us now, 4001, with any of your thoughts. You can give us a call at any point, 04871 Just ask uh, for Viva Las Vegas, and uh, we will take care of all of that. And the best thing to do, though, is come on down here to Barasti and be part of proceedings. At Barasti Beach is where you can find out all the latest details. Talking about those details, let's get an update on the early kickoff in the Premier League. Just after half an hour played, Southampton against Manchester United. Rob's got the latest. Yeah, so it still remains Southampton nil, Manchester United 1. United uh, scored it through Daniel James after the 10th minute um, after a great start by Southampton. Um, they've since had a couple more chances. James uh, had a strike on the 21st minute, forced a one-handed save, save from uh, Southampton keeper Gunn. Um, and then Rashford missed a header on 27 minutes. Um, United have, have, since the goal, have... Um, have built built into the game and had a, had a few good chances. They're, they're looking very dominant when they'll be able to get the ball wide and causing Southampton problems. Um, but Southampton, the last four or five minutes, are starting to build themselves back into the game as we as we get towards half-time. So, yeah, 33 minutes gone, Southampton nil, Manchester United won. OK, Mark Archer, uh, we will now turn our attention, if we may, to all things cricket. It's been a fascinating uh, week of cricket. Well, it's been a fascinating summer of cricket uh, around the globe. And I'm also over in the UK after the dramas of the World Cup final. Uh, then, of course, the Ashes series, which has delivered so much. I suppose one talking point just before to sort of break the ice is uh, the news overnight that James Anderson's been ruled out for the rest of the series, uh, uh, the, the Ashes series, which I, I suppose, in an ironic sort of way, solves a bit of a selection headache for the selectors going into the final two tests. Yeah, Jimmy Anderson obviously pulled up in that first test match and um, left England in a big hole when they have to become a bowler short for, for much of that, 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 that test match, which ultimately they, they lost to Australia. And I guess in some ways he just hasn't been able to find enough matches or, or form to get back into the team. And this injury occurred, I think, in either a county match or a second yeah, level match. Warm-up yeah. warm match to try and get some, some overs into your belt. You can't go from no cricket to playing five days of test match cricket. There needs to be a build-up and a, a, a graduated progress to put, put some strain on the body. And Jimmy Anderson's no, uh, he's no young whippet anymore, is he? He's, he's, I think he's 38. 38 so he, he's getting towards the end of a, a fine test career, but his body can't recover but as quick as, as it used to. I suppose my point being, though, had he been fit, had he passed the fitness as well, given what who the England bowling unit have done. I mean, it's been the batsmen in this series that have failed. Who do you drop? You can't really drop Joffre Archer. You can't drop Stuart Broad. Chris Wokes might come into, but he's sort of been the guy that's held them together on the, on the right sort of surface. So it would have been hard in many ways to actually select, select Jimmy Anderson for the, for the match. So England then would have to change the winning 11. Um, they've got bigger problems. The bowling's not the problem for England. It's, it's the top order batting. <laughs> they have the to find some teams, solutions for, exactly. But... Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I think it's a shame that Jimmy Anderson, and, and in some ways, we may be seeing the end of his career now. Yeah. I, know he's, I know he's had a wonderful career, and I remember when he burst on the scene in 2003 in South Africa in the, in the World Cup, and he's, he's had a tremendous career. And, and by many ways, his career has been sort of highlighted by the fact he hasn't had many injuries. He's been, he's been very durable 
um, as durable as fast bowlers are, and at the ripe old age of 37, turning 38, he's 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 hung on for a long time. But we, I think we're probably seeing towards the end of Jimmy Anderson. Yeah. Whether, whether he goes on winter tours now, whether he can fight his way back into the team, I'm not really sure. What but the surely this is would be his the last home Ashes series, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you struggle to see him even in two years' time, really, do you? In, in Australia, where he struggled always with with with, with the with the Kookaburra ball, so. Yeah, it's a shame for that. And so it's going to be fascinating uh, as we get to the, the the fourth test match at Old Trafford. And, of course, the big the big news is Jimmy Anson's definitely out. But who's coming back for Australia? Steve Smith, who, who missed the last test with the concussion. Um, obviously, Joffrey Archer doing a little bit of headhunting in his time there with, the, with um, the short pitch bowling capturing a few of the Aussies. Steve Smith missed the test match through concussion. He looks as though he's available. He's playing in the warm-up match against Derbyshire. He's had a couple of knocks with the, with the bat, and uh, he'll be back into the team. And that, they'll have some problems to, because his replacement, uh, Manus Labashe, has done come in and, done, and looked like their best batsman yeah, yeah. on tour. So they're going to have to find a solution for their batting order as well. But early in the week, of course, we, we once had a miracle at Headingley many years ago in Botham's match in 1981. It was, it was Botham and Bob Willis who won that amazing match um, following on against Australia. But early in the week, we had this. We had the miracle at Headingley. Lion bowls. Oh, and there's a missed stumping. There's a catch there at Slibby's out. Root came down the pitch. He missed it. 200 comes up. Look at him on the Western Terrace. Unbelievable. A standing ovation for England's 200. Change events for Cummins, who's in now to Stokes. He pulls it away into the boundary. It's gone for six. Stokes defends, pushes the offside. Hesitation is out. Joss Butner has been run out. Lyon goes to Stokes, he plays the reverse sweep, and he's oh, colossal shot, he's hit it for six. Here he comes, he bowls, and he's flogged that away into the leg side, that should go for four, the fielder down there can't get it, and Ben Stokes has reached a truly remarkable hundred. It goes Lyon, bowls, reverse it's sweep, fielder, fielder, over, no, 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 he's set off, oh, no, Lyon's no. dropped it, Lyon's dropped it. No. He was run out by yards, no. and Lyon has dropped the ball. And in comes Pat Cummins from the far end. He bowls to Stokes, who hammers it for four. And stands there with the back raised. I can't believe we've seen that. That is the most extraordinary innings ever, ever been played by an Englishman. Pretty extraordinary scenes at Headingley, which sure will be replayed time and time again. I mean, it had it all, didn't it, Arch? The, 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 the unlikely um, victory for England. But then that sort of cacophony of, of disasters. And Australia digging themselves into a hole towards the end there with the, the, the missed run out from Nathan Lyon. Is that, just, is that just pressure? Yeah, I mean, the pressure built up. They had a drop catch. They had overthrows. They had, you know, they, they were looking like taking the Ashes home to Australia and Ben Stokes turned the pressure situation on the Aussies who are usually big game players. We were used to seeing them you know, for, for many decades just produce the goods when they're, when they're under the pump and they really took the oxygen, didn't they? They really needed the oxygen and the gas and they, they really struggled when Ben Stokes found a way to put all the pressure back on the Australian bowlers, the Australian fielders and in some ways, they, I know it's a big word, but they, they, they choked under that pressure. Nathan Lyon had the run out opportunity and they just failed to deliver. And of course, the, the review as well. They, they blew the review because it was a pressure situation. It wasn't close to being LBW. And then all the drama when they needed the review, when Ben Stokes looked like he was out LBW, he would have been given out um, under review. They didn't have a review to use. And he, he stays and he survived. And so he, he turned the pressure around. All the pressure was on him for so much of that day. He had, to, he, had to, he had to deal with the pressure. He had to deal with the wickets falling at the other end. He managed to get some partnerships up and running. 
and then he managed to turn the switches on on, on the Aussies, and it was a it was the, the ebbs and flows of yeah. Test cricket is why we why we love watching it over so many you know over so many sessions, and the game just changed. But Ben Stokes came out after the match and said, "Look, it's all it's all for nothing if we don't go on and win the series." This is what he had to say. At the moment, it was it was right up there um, when we hit the winning runs, um, and you know I, I remember saying to the to the lads at uh, lunchtime when we only lost the one wicket that everything that we've just done that two hours means absolutely nothing if, if we don't win this game. Um, so it sort of feels the same that um, if, if we don't get the, these ashes back, then um, what, what will it feel like? I think the only satisfaction, um, you know, well, I would take real satisfaction out of that innings if we end up winning the ashes because I know that it's got us back into the series. If you throw it forward to the Manchester game, how much momentum does that win give you in the rest of the ashes? I think momentum is um, huge in sport especially in a series like the Ashes. Um, you know, Australia would have gone through a lot of emotions throughout that game as we did as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 100% sure that when Stuart Broad got out, they thought that they would be getting the Ashes back at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, we went through, you know, ups and downs of emotions throughout that game. And we ended up coming away from that, win, that game with the win. So we go into Manchester um, with that confidence and also with the confidence knowing that we can win from anywhere. Um, obviously it was an amazing game to, to be a part of and um, it, it's got us back into the series um, but yeah, you know, you can't live off what you've done in the, in the past it's all about what you're doing here and now We're getting the thoughts, uh, not just to Mark Archer but also Rob on this one as well and Rob, we started the conversation at the beginning uh, of the show about the extraordinary scenes at Headingley that we've been witnessing over the, the course of the last week um, it really caught the imagination of the country as well. The number of text messages I was getting from back home, you know, sisters, mums, things like that, people that wouldn't ordinarily be watching uh, cricket. And, and I wonder whether they can take that momentum forward. We heard them get the word again mentioned there. Yeah, that's the challenge for them, isn't it? Yeah, that, that day was just remarkable, wasn't it? Cause it's unlike, unlike football where you score a goal, it's instantaneous or other sports like that. It was the way that the drama and the tension built throughout the day. And as Mark alluded to, there was you know, the ebbed and flowed, there was... There was mistakes made and, and, and the game slightly changed as wickets fell and runs were scored and the pace that England was scoring at changed today. And it just built and built and built. And as you said before, so, you know, some people could, couldn't even stand to watch it. Yourself, we had it playing ben tennis. Ben couldn't stand to watch yeah, it. He, so, was, he, he couldn't watch from the non-striker's end. He yeah, admitted that it, after the game. And it accumulated in, in, in a wonderful finish and obviously a wonderful finish in England fan. But yeah, the key thing is, you know, is, is the, it means nothing. It means nothing if you don't move on to the next next test and perform again um, perform to a high standard hit the standards they need to and carry that, that momentum all throughout the team because as Matt said again they've, they've had challenges in the batting um, across the series they've got Steve Smith coming back who's obviously a phenomenal player um, so, so they, they, they really need to perform Question for you Tom you were lucky enough to go to the World Cup final the match that ended in a tie and a tie after the Super over was Ben Stokes innings in the World Cup final better or how do you appraise that against the innings he did to, to, to win that match from the fourth day of a test match? I've about this over the course of this week, and I think, I think the Ben Stokes innings for the World Cup, a lot, of, a, a lot has to be given to uh, Joss Butler for the role he, part, he played in getting England to, 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 within that, it was the key partnership. Wasn't it was the key it? partnership. They got them back. They got them back ben Stokes took all the headlines, but it was the Joss the Butler uh, um, partnership that got them to that opportunity. Uh, 
the Headingley innings is completely different because it was you know he he, he t took to the crease with Joe Root first thing in the morning and he was still there at the end with the number 11. He went through every single batsman in that lineup um, and trying to build partnerships, trying to build partnerships, but holding it together. And like the, you know the figures that Rob threw our way a little earlier on, the way he changed his approach to the innings from the from the, the, the steadfast uh, looking at the balls or just blocking at the beginning of the innings to the crazy hitting as soon as Leach came in and some of the the shot selection as well towards the end of the innings extraordinary yeah. i think with sorry i think without managing his emotions to so going through as you say such a long start in the evening didn't they the day before then to to bat all through that day to manage his emotions understand the match situation make the correct decisions at the correct time so he was still at the crease at the end it was just phenomenal what was it, it was it he mentioned it was, it was it was a knockoff nando's wasn't it that the, the, they had the night before yeah. and two yorkie bars two yorkie bars <laughs> and then 55 quid's worth of McDonald's after, and the, the night after. The funny thing is about Ben Stokes, he, the more you sort of read about him and, and the more that you sort of um, get, get, to, get to sort of look into his personality from the way he plays at the crease, he seems like a pretty normal sort of guy, right? There's, no too, there's not too many frills and, um, you know, ears and graces about him. He's pretty much what you see is what you get. He's not pretending to be anyone else other than Ben Stokes. And if you look at those innings, you break down the numbers, 135 not out. He batted for 333, 330 minutes, which is a which is a tremendous knock. 219 balls, 11 fours, and eight sixes in a Test match. So phenomenal. And as you can say, one man we'll talk about this in a sec. One man that can relate to that that sort of hero heroic innings is Ian Botham. And this is what Ian Botham said immediately after the Test match. I said to you this morning when we were down there in that bowled us, someone's got to front up and someone's got to be really strong and. Uh, as you know, and I've banged Ben Stokes' drum for a long, long time now, and I know that other players, when they've seen him, you think there's something special. He is the special one. You know, he is very, very valuable to cricket, full stop, not just England. You know, he will sell the game worldwide. And it really is uh, so, so important. He'll in, he should enjoy every single moment. Uh, well, if no, make it a few days. But, you know, enjoy it, take it in. But that was... A really, really remarkable performance. A couple of the shots he played there. There was one uh, off the switch uh, hit that went to six. The, the six line. switch, but that one off Hazelwood, where he looked to try and dab it, and it went for six. <laughs> Extraordinary innings. It'll be talked about a lot, uh, and it makes the next Test match all the more enticing. So Thursday, the, the, the one thing that I said to you, and I know Arch and I were having a bit of uh, 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 texting back and forth uh, after that last game, that last Test match. I just hope it doesn't smooth over some of the gaping cracks that are in English cricket at the moment, because for all Ben Stokes's heroics with the ball the previous evening and with the bat on that final day, England have some massive problems. Um, the openers, we haven't got one basically at the moment, which, for, to my mind, is one of the is one of the the, the major problems they have because England have always produced openers. They've always had a strong opening partnership and test match. We don't at the moment. There's confusion over th threes and fours at the moment. The biggest issue for me seems to be the the leadership groups. I, th I thought some of Joe Root's captaincy decisions. He looked frazzled. He looked completely frazzled in that test match, and I think his captaincy needs to be called into concern or the lack of anyone he's got to sort of fall back on for advice in the leadership role and then equally the coaching staff you know why 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 is it, the, the players seem to have so much power i'd love england to have a sort of justin langer role somebody who would is willing to shout at his players and say look it's not good enough rather than going well look we're you're all class you're all world cup winners you all know you've got the talent inside you it needs to be naughty boy nets. We just don't have that at the moment because the player power. And here's the other thing to consider. I think I think quite a few of that England team 
and the captain, uh, Joe Root, probably owe Ben Stokes their careers now. He, he, he has papered over the cracks there. The top order, Burns and Roy is not working. I think Denley's just held on through lack of options, um, but he, that he did get a good 50. And I think they've got, they've got you know, Josh Butler is really struggling to, to, to make an impact in test cricket. Whether he's just played too much cricket, he was, he's a star with the, with the, in the white ball game on both formats. He just hasn't, he hasn't done it. I don't know if batting at seven in, in the test match cricket is for Josh Butler if he's not keeping wicket. So England top order batting has mass problems and uh, I think Ben Stokes may have sought the players should have been buying him that McDonald's afterwards um, uh, for, for, for their sort of um, re recarving up because they owe, they owe him a few favours and uh, we are looking forward to the, to the test match starting on Thursday the Aussies on the other hand are still sort of how are they going to react to it they're going to get Steve Smith back and uh, one man that had a lot to say after the match also was Ricky Ponting he's been there He's, he's done it all. He's won World Cups. He's won Ashes Series. This is what Ricky Ponting had to say about the innings of Ben Stokes. Uh, I probably still can't believe it, to be honest. I mean, I've seen some great innings in the past, and, and I've, I've seen better batting than that when you think about classical test match innings. But when you consider the situation of the game and where the series is at and, you know, nine down with 70-odd to win, and then just to put your foot down like that, knowing that it's all up to you and that, to keep your team in the series is, is pretty special. So... I think all of us Australians anyway were probably a little bit nervous to the fact that he was still out there because we've seen some of the things that he's done in World Cup and whatever else and he seems that sort of character that's never beaten until it's, it's all over and he, he showed that today so um, look an amazing amazing last two days cricket really I mean yesterday was an amazing day of test cricket today was even better and I think everyone that witnessed it today will have a, a pretty good memory for a long long time. Might not be the most classical or technical innings you've ever seen but uh, where does it rank in terms of best test innings you've seen? Well, as far as winning test matches go on the last day of a, of a game, um, well, even though this was the fourth day, but in the, in the fourth innings, um, you know, Brian Lara got 150-odd against us in Barbados one year, which was an amazing innings. I'm trying to think of others that have been sort of you know, massive winnings in run chases in the fourth innings. I can't think too many don't come to mind. So just the enormity of this. I mean, it's an Ashes test match anyway. That's, that's enough said, I, I guess. But to get 70-odd with you, you know, when you're nine downs, pretty remarkable. Uh, all sorts of uh, selection headaches for both the Australians and, of course, England ahead of the next Test match, which gets underway on uh, Sunday. Steve Smith, obviously, will come back into that team regardless. Uh, 23 in the warm-up game, so he's back playing competitive cricket. They had that warm-up game against Derbyshire, uh, which they have just uh, concluded. In fact, the Australians uh, running out um, uh, convincing winners of that one. Steve Smith will come in, however... It's going to be a fascinating uh, first over against Joffre Archer, isn't it, as to whether they have got inside Steve Smith's extraordinary defence. Yeah, I mean, Steve Smith really, up until this test match, he'd, he'd been the difference between the two teams. He, he was the, the player that was the, the, the guy that stood out amongst two well-balanced sides, and he was the guy that was really stepping up to the plate and, and delivering when he had to. In England, let's be honest, they're struggling to find a way to get him to dismiss him out. They're trying every type of tactic. They're trying every every sort of approach, whether it be short pitch bowling, whether they're pitching wide of off stump, whether they're trying to bowl him around his legs, and he just he's just got an answer for everything. So how he comes back after, obviously, concussion in the third test will be a massive element there. We talk about the, the frailties in England's lineup. You know, David Warner's barely fired a shot in anger in the Test Match series. They've had opening batsman problems. Usman Khawaja hasn't been great at number three. And they've sort of stuck around the middle order, they've done okay, but they're really having top order problems as well. So it's going to be fascinating. But that man coming back who could prove a big difference, Steve Smith, he's obviously uh, getting through the concussion issues and he's looking forward to the fourth test match at Old Trafford. Yeah, uh, feeling pretty good. Um, faced some, some bowlers in the nets the other day. Um, it was a bit of a 
slow process, I guess you've got to tick off a few different boxes. Um, so I had to get through like a brisk walk, I think, on the first morning of the game. Um, then I did some running on the treadmill at about 11 and a half for four minutes. Um, 11 and a half kilometres an hour for four minutes. Um, and was a little bit puffed after that. And then did it the next day and was okay. So um, progressed into some sort of high speed running and faced a few of the um, the flickers and then faced bowlers. So um, ticked all the boxes now and feeling good and ready to play. Were you healthy enough to watch that last day, hour? Or did they <laughs> put you in a dark room? I wish they'd put me in a dark room. Um, yeah, I'm not a great watcher of cricket. Um, never really have been, so uh, didn't quite enjoy that. But um, I guess what, what an advertisement for Test cricket. Um, it was a pretty amazing innings from from Stokesy. Um, you know, he's, he completely turned the series sort of on its head. Um, we had an opportunity to, to wrap it up, but, you know, he was incredible. Um, even you go back to, I think, two nights before, that, that night where he bowled 14 overs straight, um, I think I, I rocked up to the ground the next day and someone said that he, I think on average, he bowled the quickest for the day as well over those 14 overs. So, um, you know, that's a, a pretty amazing effort. He's a, he's a tough competitor, um, wants to be in the, the pressure moments, thrives under pressure, obviously, as we've seen the last couple of months. Um, and, yeah, just really turned the game there at the end. So the next test match on Thursday as well. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it, Rob? Because after the high emotions of that, the finish to that last test match, uh, coming back and then all the sort of, you know, the, the, the subplots that we've seen develop, how will Steve Smith react, Joffre Archer, you know, coming back, uh, using his pace again, Ben Stokes as he cooked after his heroics as well. So many subplots to talk about. There is, and it's, it's going to be fascinating for how the players respond, I think mentally and physically. I mean, we talked about, talked then about their physical approach, but yeah, the mental approach, Approach to how they how they how they approach this game, you know who who will bat first, who will who will bowl first. I think will be key to it as well, um, and then how those re, uh, players respond to it. I mean, talk, you talk about mental approach. Just going back to Ben Stokes, I think that's one of the key things for Stokes himself. He's probably one of very few players who obviously had that incredible World Cup, which we've talked about before, and then has been able to perform again within this Ashes series, yeah. which is a number of England players haven't been able to do that, have they? And and he he's the one that stood out to be able to, to achieve that. So yeah, it's going to be interesting fourth test. Quick update on what's going on in the other series. West Indies taking on India uh, in an ongoing series down in the Caribbean. India are 264 for the loss of five wickets at the close of play on day one of the Test match. Uh, that will resume a little later on this evening here, local time in the UAE. And as mentioned a little earlier on, Australia winning by an innings and 54 runs with uh, in their uh, warm-up game, a three-day game against Derbyshire, which they won convincingly uh, by an innings and some as well. Uh, one man who's taken part in that game was Mitch Marsh. Uh, we haven't seen him in the Test series as yet. Uh, he chipped in, though, with several wickets and a few runs in that uh, Australia um, victory uh, and uh, he was uh, asked about it straight after the game and of course one of the main questions that was put to him was Steve Smith. Yeah well I haven't played uh, this series but um, look, it's obviously a big loss for him it's a wealth of experience and um, dare say probably his last chance to play in Ashes at home so I'm sure he'll be shattered but I think England showed they got great depth in their bowling attack so um, yeah a big miss but um, Oh yeah, he must be devastated. Um, I think as a human being, you obviously feel sorry for him and you want to be playing against the best and he's obviously one of the best ever. So um, 
yeah, I'm sure they'll be, or the whole of England will be disappointed. Yeah, it's always nice to um, spend a bit of time out in the middle um, when you're running the drinks for the last six weeks. Um, so I was sort of champion at the bit. Sometimes these tour games can lag on a bit, but um, we've tried to be as professional as we can, and I just wanted to get out there and play some cricket. So, um, and of course, yeah, it's always nice to bat with Smudger. Oh, happy to be back playing. Um, yeah, I'm sure he had a bit of fun out there. We don't really talk too much out in the middle, but um, I'm sure he's happy to be back playing. Well, yeah, he's the best player in the world, so um, it's always nice having him back. For him to pick an all-rounder, that's all I need. <laughs> I don't necessarily um, think it's too many conditions based. Um, we've got, had a 10-day break in this tour, so um, they might go six batters, but I think for me, for me personally, um, I've just been preparing to play every game and waiting for a chance, and if not, then I run the drinks as best I can, but um, yeah, hopefully I do get a chance at some stage. Um, no, he was just same old smudger, really. Um, yeah, like I said, we don't talk too much, but it's nice to... Uh, I haven't batted with him for, for a while in the middle, so it's nice to spend a little bit of time there with him. Yeah, look, potentially, um, that's, the, that's the way it might go. Um, we're blessed at the moment that we've got five world-class bowlers and, and only three of them are playing, but um, like I said before, for me personally, it's just about being ready for my opportunity. If it comes next test or the fifth test, um, there's still so much to play for. So if I do get the chance, I want to make sure I'm 100% ready and I can perform for the team. Um, that's a good question. Um, I've certainly over the last sort of four years um, put my heart and soul into being the best test cricketer I can be and I've certainly had my ups and downs um, through that little journey. Um, I'll always try and play test cricket for Australia but obviously in the next 12 months after this series we do have a lot of T20 stuff and a lot of white ball cricket coming up. Um, I want to get myself back in both of those teams at some point and then yeah, hopefully I can stay there. I've been waiting four years to do that. It's the first time but um, yeah, I had a nosebleed up there at number three when JL told me. Um, but I just wanted to get out there, to be honest. Uh, JL said that I was going to bat three, and um, before he told me, I was about to ask him. So, um, yeah, it can be a long tour and run the drinks at times, um, and I just wanted to get out there and have a bit of fun this week and play and get some time in the middle, so it's been fun. Yeah, I was actually thinking that in the field. Um, I think if Smudger got 20 or 220, he'd still want to go to the nets um, and have a hit. That's just him. That's what he does, um, and that's, that's why he's the best in the world. Last home summer? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of fun last summer, um, personally. Um, I think getting time away from the game gives you a bit of time to reflect on what you need to work on. I certainly did that. Um, I always try and have a positive outlook on life and, and cricket in general. Um, and that's what I try and provide to this team and to everyone around me. So um, it's certainly been a fun tour. Um, it's going to be an amazing two weeks coming up with what we've got and what we've got ahead of us and the chance that we've got. And I can't wait. Getting a magnet out of my front pad is usually what I'm working on. Um, I think bowling over here and, and my role with the ball um, is about creating as much pressure as I can. Um, so I've been trying to work on just hitting the, hitting the really um, competitive length over here. And when I'm batting, it's the same stuff. Um, it's pretty simple. Playing straight, keeping my eyes level. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. So two games underway over in England at the moment, one in the Premier League, one in the Championship. Rob Wadsworth is watching these for us. Tell us more. Yeah, so half-time in, in both games now. So the, the score remains Southampton nil, United 1. Southampton, as I said, started really well. 
Um, United scoring on 10 minutes through Daniel James, another fantastic goal for the young man and had a, a great start to his United career. Um, and Southampton came back into the game towards the second half with Danny Ings, Shea Adams and uh, Bufal calling them, causing them quite a few problems. So it's going to be an interesting second half. The game in the Championship, Bristol City v, v Borough. Bristol City scored right on the 44th minute just before half-time. Uh, Casey Palmer, the left winger, scoring a uh, uh, good finish for, for Casey Palmer and uh, keeps Bristol City up to th into third in the league and obviously Borough having a bit of a challenging start to the season with their new manager, Jonathan Woodgate. We will keep an eye on both of those games for you. We'll also keep an eye on qualification over in Belgium. It's the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. Uh, that takes place tomorrow afternoon, so we'll have poll qualifying for you uh, before the end of play right here on the show. But there's been drama already today. Mark Archer. There has indeed been, Tom. Third practice of the day, seen a massive crash for Lewis Hamilton. Crashed heavily after losing control at one of the chicanes. And Mercedes are battling to fix his car in time for qualifying. Qualifying is going to take start in about 30 minutes' time, and we'll uh, listen to see get the update on the news whether they've managed to get his uh, car patched up enough to put in some times in qualifying. Just running through the third practice times, Ferrari are dominating uh, practice. Charles Leclerc was the fastest, followed closely by Sebastian Vettel. Vittori Botas with his Mercedes came in third. Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton did, did clock a time before that crash. He's in at seventh. So plenty of drama and we'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated if uh, Mercedes can get Hamilton's car fixed up in time for him to go out and post some post a time during qualifying. Now I know one uh, young man who's been keeping a close eye on proceedings there is our next guest because not only does he follow Formula One uh, around the world, He's got a Formula One hit, uh, future, by uh, hopefully, uh, according to uh, the success that he's had to date already. The second-generation British expat who'd lived in Dubai all his young life, started racing uh, down at the Dubai Kartrome, has gone through a, series, a number of uh, series during his uh, career, which started back in 2013, and is now competing in the 2019 British F4 Championship with... Arden Motorsport. Alex Connor is the name that so many people are talking about with a big future in the world of uh, Formula uh, racing around the world and he joins us now. Alex, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good to have you on board. Um, let, let's start by first and foremost trying to paint the sort of picture for uh, all things uh, Alex Connor. If people want to um, uh, get un in, in touch and find out a bit more about that, we'll be telling you how they can follow. Where did it all start for you? So 2013, uh, karting, was that the, the sort of the first start? Yeah, it, it all started in karting really um, and kind of just went up the ranks from there. And, you know, a lot of work and a lot of effort put in to get where I am now. How did you get into uh, motorsport in the first place? Was it was it just a, a, a little something that you tried out first and foremost and took to, or did you have a certain? How, how did you how did you start out? You know, I've when I was young, I really really liked cars when I was growing up, um, and I, it just all started when I kind of went to people's birthday parties at the autodrome and kind of got got into it from there really, and then yeah, it's been a passion from there, and I've made some big steps over the years and it's just been a really good experience. Started racing in November 2013 in the Sony World Series, the Junior Cup down at Dubai Kartdrome. Uh, just how sort of impressive a facility 
is that? Obviously, it's helped to get you to where you are today. Is it doing the same for, 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 for other young drivers, boys and girls? I think so. It's, it was a very good series to start off yeah. in. Um, the carts are all very similar, and they're all very good drivers from around the world that go to Paris. I race in Paris twice. Um, and just, yeah, very hard racing and, yeah. After that, following two seasons, you competed in the UA's Rotex Micromax uh, and the IME X30 Cadet Championships. Um, uh, you took that forward as well. So every single season, you've seen sort of the standards going up and looking to take on new challenges. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of stepping stones, really. Um, every category I move into, it, it gets bigger and bigger, more, more competitive. Um, and yeah, as you said, I went to the X30 and yeah. IAMI, and yeah, it kind of just goes up there from the junior carts and then to so on. Yeah, into the junior carts, other bits and series, obviously turning heads, getting attention, more and more people asking the questions, uh, and that leads the path to the F4 Championship. So how did that come about for you? Um, I was picked up by Arden, so the YRDA, the Young Racing Drivers Academy, um, and they kind of helped me from there. I, kinda, I went to the factory quite a lot, did a lot of simulator work with them, and I did my first test in an F4 car last year in July, So and that went very, very well. So it kind of, it's just gone from there really, and now competing in the British F4 Championship. I mean, I'm looking through the, you know, the achievements. You started out in 2013, uh, 2015, 2016. Uh, you were champion uh, 20, uh, in a number of different series. The, the, the Arden move and joining the Young Racing Drivers Academy, being recognised by Arden, is that uh, sort of taking it to the next step for you in terms of, as you mentioned just there, the stepping stones? Yeah, it has really. It's been a, a big achievement for me, and they're a very, very good team. They, can, they go all the way up to F2. Um, and I think that's a, a good connection to have, especially with Jamie and Gary Horner. Um, and Gary Horner being the father of Christine Horner, which is the manager of Red Bull Racing now, the Formula One team. So I think it's, it's been a very good couple of years now. And yeah, it's, it's gone really, really well. Got a quick question for you, and don't take it the wrong way, but Alex, you're a young man, it's very impressive, but you're still a few years away from getting your driver's license, I'm guessing. So you've got your dad here who's going to be the, the number one chauffeur and obviously your, your biggest fan, but uh, um, it looks as though that um, is going to be a really interesting thing for you for, for that, is, is obviously you're, you're on the track and you're doing the training and then at some stage you're going to, you're going to have to actually go and get your driver's license as well. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird driving around at 218 kilometres an hour in a British F4 car and not being able to drive on the road in a normal road car, but it is what it is and, you know. How old are you now, Alex? I'm 15, 15 right now. now. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of the, the sort of progression you mentioned there, the stepping stones, etc. obviously uh, you're earning, earning, earn, earning your colours in F4 at the moment. Is the plan, therefore, to start going through the numbers as well in, in forthcoming seasons? Um, yeah, it is. Um, we're thinking about doing F4 next season as well, if we can get the budget together and all that, which would be really well. Um, and then, yeah, go from there, see, see where it takes us. Um, in terms of, you mentioned there about, you know, obviously the commitment and the dedication you've got to your sport, 
you're a young man, you're at school as well, you're trying to balance the two as well. How does that work, given the fact that there is so much sort of pressure on you time-wise when it comes to the racing? Um, yeah, it works quite well. Um, the races are throughout a weekend, so we have plenty of time. Um, the races are usually one in the morning and one in the afternoon on a Sunday. So we have four or five hours in between the two races. So that gives me quite a lot of time to do either schoolwork or just, you know, relax before the next race. And in terms of the sort of the calendar, as it were, is it a global calendar? I mean, uh, you, you mentioned that you've, you, you've, you've raced in other parts of the world. You raced here, obviously, you're racing back in the UK at the moment. Uh, it, 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 does it sort of take you on your travels in other parts of Europe? Um, yes, to a degree. Um, it's The British F4 is based in the UK. Um, and we do races all over the UK um, and just there's one race that is outside of the UK which is I mean it's in the UK but it's it's up in Scotland at Knock Hill so that's it's a very hard track it's very physical um, a lot of elevation on that track as well we've seen a lot of uh, young talented drivers come through the different from karting through the different formulas and end up in Formula One uh, Max Verstappen's probably one of the best examples in recent years and we know Lewis Hamilton also started in karting. Do you have any role models? Do you have any sort of drivers that you sort of look up to and say, well, that, that they have an amazing career, I'd love to follow in their footsteps? Not, not really, I don't want to. I kind of just want to focus on my own and I don't really have a specific role model. Um, and I mean, they're, they're all amazing drivers and I think I want to be kind of all of them put together really. Um, and that would kind of be, or F1 is the ultimate dream for me. I was just going to say, is, is Formula 1 the ultimate goal? Would you sort of be open-minded about some other different forms of, of motor racing if they came up, but is, is Formula 1 sort of the pinnacle for you? Um, right now, Formula 1 is the pinnacle, but we'll see where it takes us. I mean, if I get up there, and that, that's great, but, you know, there, there are so many different options to go to. And in terms of... The, the options that are open to you. Obviously, we've highlighted the dedication and the support you get from your family as well. But as we talk about quite often, you know, the, the, the world of Formula One, the world of formula racing around the world is not cheap. You know, you've got to get into it with the help of a number of sponsors and things like that. Are you constantly looking for sponsors for people to come on board and help you with to, to, to try and achieve the dreams that you're, you're, you're setting yourselves? Um, yeah, we, we have a couple of sponsors already um, and they, they've really helped so far. I mean, getting the budget together, it's, it's all about the budget, really. Um, if you don't have the budget, it's, you, don't, you can't do it. So it's, we have, I have three sponsors now. Um, the do you want to give them a shout out? Come on, let's give them yeah, a name, Jay. Um, one is Euroleaver, which do architectural hardware. One is Expert Learning, which is my mum's company, um, and one is Northwest Reclamation, which is based in the UK, and they do stone and like, yeah, build houses and all that. And in terms of sort of taking it forward as well, I mean, you've got your own dedicated website, alexconnorracing.com. What's the sort of calendar look like for you at the moment if people want to sort of chart your progress in the way that you're developing? Are you mid-championship at the moment? Has it come to a conclusion? We are about three quarters of the way through the championship at the moment. Um, three rounds left, um, nine races. Um, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really good season so far. Um, my first year in British F4, um, and you know just made some very big improvements throughout the season um, and you know it's just been a great experience really. And, and what's the format of the racing obviously we, we know that in Formula One 
the fastest car, the best drivers, Mercedes have been dominant for a number of years. How does it work with your sort of um, car setups? Are they are they all quite similar? How do you sort of qualify for races? Just talk us through a, a race day for you. So on Friday, we'll have free practice one and free practice two, which are usually two 40-minute sessions. Um, and then on Saturday, we'll have qualifying, which is 20-minute session. Um, and maybe one or two races, depending on the schedule. Um, and then Sunday, one or two races again, depending on the schedule, which are all 20 minutes long. And in terms of... You mentioned there about the great ambition to get into F1, so go through the different formulas, get all that experience that you've been building up at the moment. I suppose it's a difficult one for you because you're British by heritage and by passport, etc., and you're competing in a British championship at the moment, but you're born and bred here in the UAE, in Dubai. You earn your spurs down at the Dubai Kartrome. I'm assuming you've been around the Yas Marina circuit a couple of times as well. Would that be a sort of dream come true, to be able to compete? at Formula One at the Yas Marina circuit? Yeah, it would. I mean, at the end of this year, in, I think, end of November, um, where they hold the Formula One there, um, hopefully they're doing an, an F4 race there as oh, well. Wow. Okay. So hopefully I will be trying to compete in that. So that will be a, a, a really good time. So in terms of sort of your, your, your goals for the rest of this season, you mentioned there about the experience you've taken from the championship so far. Have you set yourself any sort of goals with regards to what you want to achieve in the last quarter of the championship this year and then sort of build it into next year? My main goals are to hopefully keep the second place that I have in the rookie championship now and just, you know, try my best, top fives, most races. Um, hopefully, I'm aiming for a podium at the end of this year as well. Just going to break away from uh, our chat on all things motorsport because it looks like the home team are motoring. Came in, uh, Ings had the initial header, but the ball was cleared. The ball is across, has come back in, and Van der Velde has put in a, a great header, beating the keeper. Um, so it's one all. So Southampton won, Manchester United won. It's one apiece in the early kickoff in the Premier League. We're going to give one eye on that one, but we are in conversation uh, with the star of the future. Alex Connor is here. If you want to charter Alex's progress, alexconnorracing.com is a good resource to go to as well. I mean, is that important these days as well, Alex? Trying to get ahead in uh, all things motorsport, trying to get ahead in a competitive uh, field like F4, F3, F2, hopefully F1 as well for the future. Um, to have that sort of marketing around you, to let other people know about it, whether it be via the website, social media and otherwise. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's very important. I mean, that's how you get most responses, really, through um, social media, websites and all that, because they, they'll come to you and they'll try to find you. And I think it's, it's very, very important to have, you know, the social media, like Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. I think those are the three main ones because um, all three of them are very popular. And people can find you on there, can they? They can, yes. they can find out all about how you're progressing in the championship yep. at the moment. Yeah. And Alex, your dad was just telling me that uh, you get quite big crowds to watch you because you're part of the British uh, Touring Car Championship. Obviously, there's a whole different uh, array of races on, on, on any particular racing weekend. So you get, you get some great following and, you're, and it's live, I think, on, on terrestrial TV. ITV are picking it up and obviously on YouTube. So it's a fantastic vehicle for for partners and for sponsors to actually get a lot of coverage and media coverage through the, through the racing. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%. It's, most races, the crowds reach up to 15,000 people, round about there, so very, very big crowds. 
and also on its live streams on TV as well on ITV4 on the Sundays. So yeah, we get a lot of following. What about the sort of the physical element of it? I mean, we talked about the sort of the mental approach as well. Given the fact that there, it is such a competitive sport, and given the fact that it is a sport being competed at the highest level and putting your body uh, through 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 all sorts of pressures as well, do you have to be sort of quite careful about your nutrition, your fitness, and other elements of that? Uh, yeah, you have to be quite careful about everything, really, what you do. Um, and I think, you know, training plays a very, very big part in it. Um, I think you have to be very fit to drive the cars. Um, and, yeah, you need to have the endurance mainly because they're, they're long races, they're 20 minutes, and you're driving a car at 200 kilometers an hour for 20 minutes. So, and using, you're also using a lot of, you know, brain energy as well because you're thinking about what are the other cars going to do, what are, what's going to happen in the future, really. Um, is there anything bad that's going to happen? Like, how can you, like, yeah, stop that? You're almost preempting it as yeah. well, thinking ahead, uh, planning those pieces. So, in terms of the championship, you said you said you've got another quarter or so. That'll take us up to what? Uh, when does it? When's the actual uh, for finish this season? Um, I think start to mid of October. Okay, cool. That's when it finishes. And then, is there a sort of off season after that for a while for you to sort of? Uh, recalibrate with the team, come together and sort of plan for a, for a new campaign? Yeah, there is. There's about six months breathing time um, that we have to like get ready for next season, train, maybe test some other cars and just see how it is, you know, for plans for next next season. We are obviously in, a, in, a, in an F1 weekend at the moment, uh, spa Longchamp is where a lot of people will be uh, heading to in terms for, for the Belgian Grand Prix uh, tomorrow. We'll get qualifying details on that one in a while. You mentioned that F1 is the ultimate goal for you, the ultimate pinnacle. Um, you're going about it in the right way at the moment, getting the attention you are through the different series, etc. If I could give you a seat in any F1 car on the starting grid, in Belgium tomorrow, which one would you be in? Probably a Red Bull car. Really? Yeah. Okay. Any particular reasons why the Red Bull get the nod for no, you? No, I just, I mean, I'm part of Arden, so that's kind of the main goal, and it's the main route as well. But I just, I, I love the team. It's an amazing team, and it's a good atmosphere in the team as well. And in terms, is that important for someone, you know, where you are in life at the moment, just setting out on this journey, the achievements you've had, is it important to have that sort of team culture around you, the encouragement? Because we hear how competitive formula racing can be. Yeah, I think it's very important. I mean, you have to have a good team around you um, and you have to all work together as a team, yeah. really. And you kind of, you have to know each other well. You have to be friends, really. Um, and yeah, you have to get along well. Extraordinary success this young man's had already to date, uh, and I'm sure a number of people out there interested to chart the progress for the remainder of this season where he competes uh, in the F4 Championship with Arden Motorsports. I mentioned Alex, there's alexconnorracing.com, that's the website that's constantly being updated with news. Um, what are the other ways that people can get in touch with you? Um, through Facebook as well, um, Instagram and Twitter. 
So if there are any potential sponsors out there, if there are any potential uh, supporters who'd like to find out more uh, about this young man who, as I said, born and bred here in the UAE, has learnt his trade on the racing circuits here in Dubai and down in Abu Dhabi, uh, but is now taking that further afield, then that is the opportunity for you to do that. Uh, Alex, uh, obviously uh, success is very much down to your dedication and your passion as well. Any other thank yous that you'd like to shout out before we say farewell? Mom and Dad. Couldn't do it without them, no? Nope. Definitely not. <laughs> All the support there on. Uh, and in terms uh, of uh, the, 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 the remainder of the season, best of luck with that as well, as you said. Holding on to that. Currently in second position, is that right? Uh, in the Rookie Championship, In the Rookie yes. Championship. So holding on to that to the end would be key as well in order to get more eyeballs on the sport on your achievements as well, yeah? Yeah. Uh, AlexConnorRacing.com, get yourself onto the website, find out more on Facebook. He's all over social media as well, uh, having great success in motorsport. And Mark Archer, one for the future. Say, I, saw, yes. I remember Alex, don't do you? Do you need some management? Do you remember he came onto the, we'll say in a few do years. A, do you need a PR guy and a manager? We're, we're there for you. <laughs> do you remember when he, we came on the grill? That's what we were saying in a few years' time when he lines up on that Formula One grid. Who's going to win the Belgian Grand Prix tomorrow, Alex? Oh, it's, I don't really know. It's, it's very, a very tight it's going to be a very tight race with two ferraris being on top at the moment um with hamilton crashing in fp3 i don't know if they'll get his car fixed in time for qualifying but i mean it's going to be an amazing race See, well, if, it, if, it, if anything else happens, then you can definitely come back here and be our F1 correspondent uh, uh, on the radio, that's for sure, because a lot of knowledge there. Um, Alex Connor, thank you so much indeed for coming on in and telling us about your extraordinary uh, journey so far. All the best with it from myself, Arch, the rest of the team down here, Rob, as well. Uh, we will uh, watch on with interest, because not only are you doing it for you, your family, and all those that support you, you're also doing it for the UAE to a certain part. Yeah. There's, you know, you're flying that UAE flag, and that's the one question I haven't been able to ask. I mean, obviously, you're competing over in the UK at the moment. Is there that sort of element of fascination amongst people going, hang on, Alex, because you hear that you're, you're British by, by, by uh, passport, you're a British kid, but you've learned your trade here in the UAE. Do people find that fascinating? Um, I think so, a little bit. I mean, I have to fly every, every other weekend, really. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's going to be good kind of moving up the ranks because I think I might get that little bit more attention coming from here and yeah it's going to be good hopefully we will keep banging that drum as you Thank keep you, very much. Uh, we, you keep uh, delivering the results as well Alex Connor bless you thanks so much indeed enjoy you. your Formula 1 weekend thanks for coming down and speaking to us on the grill Jaila thank you very much indeed for bringing him down as well all the best uh, to you and the rest of the team back of house the motor uh, behind the engine there uh, we will take a short break when we come back we've got more Formula 1 for you uh, updates from the football and of course rugby we haven't talked rugby yet that's all coming in next is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. So what's happening in the football? Let's get an update. Two games underway, one in the Premier League, one in the Championship. Rob? Yeah, we've had a goal over in the Championship, so um, Middlesbrough pulled one back. It was an own goal, uh, cross came in from the right-hand side and put into his own net by uh, Taylor Moore. So it's uh, Bristol City 1, Middlesbrough 1 on the 68 minutes. Um, in the Premiership game, Southampton won Manchester United, one reported on the goal, uh, comeback goal by Southampton a few minutes ago. Um, the second half has had a real nice ebb and flow to it. Both teams uh, are pushing to, uh, to attack um, and we've had chances for both teams. Danny, Danny Ings has missed a, uh, a chance in the, in the second half. He, he slashed at it really when he had a lot more time inside the box. And then a couple of half chances for Rashford as well. But yeah, we're 
20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes to go. Um, he's going to have a good finish and, a, and actually a quite a good test for Solskjaer, this, what he, what he does. It's it's one all that United really do should, do need to push for a win. Um, how's it, how he goes about it tactically, we'll see. Big thanks to Alex Connor for coming on in One for the Future when it comes to all things motorsport and certainly uh, the formulas currently computing in Formula 4. Uh, talking of Formula 1, there was a bit of concern about a certain uh, Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes battling to get his car ready because qualifying for pole uh, gets underway in around about three minutes time arch any updates from there as yet yeah still waiting for an update so lewis hamilton had a crash he had a, a, extensive uh, damage to his mercedes car um, during uh, the final round of practice and we're still waiting to see whether they have managed his mechanics and his guys doing the bodywork on the car have managed to put the car together in time so he can go out and try and post some times during uh, during qualifying, there was no damage apparently to the engine or the the uh, gearbox, so it's all superficial. But he still had a, a heck of a lot of work to do, um, and also replace the front left-hand side of the vehicle. So uh, he's putting his mechanics under a lot of pressure. And I'll tell you in the next five minutes whether Lewis Hamilton will be out trying to post a uh, quick time during Q1. Spa-Francorchamps is a uh, circuit that has thrown up no shortage of Formula One memories down the years. Let's take a little bit of a Formula One trip down memory lane. <coughs> Massa has lost ground in oh. these conditions. Well, Hamilton's off. Raikkonen gets back past him again. There's a Williams in the mix too. Hamilton's on the grass. So Raikkonen back in. Raikkonen spins. spins. They'll have to stop for intermediate. Well, in these conditions, anything could happen as Hamilton again struggles to keep it on the road. Oh, Raikkonen is going to hit the, wall, gonna hit the wall. He's going to hit the wall. He has hit the wall. That's Raikkonen. And he's in the wall and out of this Grand Prix, having led it for most of the race. Michael's having to defend, and Mika, and there's a, but the back marker's in the way. Can he do it? Yes, he's done it. A brilliant move there, either side of Zonta, and Hakkinen brilliantly takes the lead of the Belgian Grand Prix. I knew, following Michael, it's no point to try to follow him and then try to overtake him and end up the track, because obviously he's not going to give me a room. It's correct? Yeah. So I took plan B and overtook the back marker, and at the same time overtook to Michael. I loved it. I'm not sure if the Michael did. just a nightmare because on these conditions we've learned on the past that we need the pace car to to start physical on pole position with a 46 3 can you believe it force india on pole Giancarlo position Carlo Fisichella for force india is on pole position what's the future mate yeah p1 mate not bad not bad only one question to ask you how did you do it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't expect to be on pole position. Sebastian Vettel's race engineer. That race oh, there's a problem there. Vettel has lost it there on Jensen Button. And that's gone. 
Now can Vettel hold this together? That is the rain already, the drizzle was coming, and two championship contenders are really in the wars. Vettel changes direction quite urgently behind him and just drops it on the brakes. They were, I think it, he was probably further into the braking zone than he realised. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.